Welcome to Real Life Real Equity Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Keisha Brooks. Hey, welcome to the show. Our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing easy to implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth or cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. Welcome to the show. All right, all right. Welcome back to Real Life Real Equity with uh, your host, Justin and Keisha Brooks. We are super excited about our guest today. He is a serial entrepreneur, current Pipeline Entrepreneur Fellow, and a member of the Young Entrepreneur Council. He served 11 years active duty as a U.S. Navy pilot and now as a commander in the Naval Reserves. He's had seven years experience building ventures in automotive and technology, has bootstrapped to $9 million in sales, and raised over $1 million from investors. He is now building Liquify Group, a business focused on helping business owners sell assets when they're moving on or going out of business using e-commerce and digital marketing. He is a contributor to Forbes and BuzzFeed. He holds a bachelor's in science from Vanderbilt and has earned an MBA and master's of science in finance with honors from the Kelly School of Business, IU Bloomington, and is a chartered financial analysis level two candidate. He is a commercial pilot and multi-engine instructor. He plays bad guitar and drums and drinks good scotch, of course, not while piloting on the ground or in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause to our guest today, Mr. Glenn Dakin. Welcome to the show, my friend. And thanks so much, uh, Justin and Keisha, for having me. I love what you guys do. Definitely an honor and a privilege to know you guys and be a part of this today. So yeah, Glenn, talk to us a little bit about your background. Talk to us a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey, um, how you guys started. You were, you're currently in the Navy Reserves. You used to be a Naval Aviator. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, basically my entrepreneurship journey um, started when I was active duty Navy. My sort of one sentence background was I went to Vanderbilt uh, undergrad. I was on scholarship, joined the Navy as a pilot. And then I uh, had decided about 2008, my second tour in Iraq, I kind of had to make a decision uh, then to say, do I plan for a 20-year Navy career or do I get in the reserves, continue to serve in that way and get into business? And I was really excited about business. I thought that was that was one thing I wanted to do was kind of follow that passion. Uh, I liked flying and I liked the Navy, but I figured I could love business because I was always interested in that and came from a very entrepreneurial family uh, and I married into one as well. So when, while I was active duty, my final tours, I wrapped up an MBA and a master in finance. And the MBA I chose that school because it's very entrepreneurship focused. And that's the Kelly School of Business at IU Bloomington. Fortunate enough to kind of get the Navy to pay for uh, all of my degrees. So I came out of the Navy thinking, hey, I got some money in my pocket. I have, you know, no student loans, debts. And, um, you know, obviously I earned that via multiple deployments, being a long, you know, a long way from my wife. Thought I would make the journey into that. Uh, so the Navy's been part of my life now. I joined the reserves. So I've been a part of that 16 and a half years. I'm a commander now in the reserves, which is pretty cool. One of my goals achieved. Uh, but, you know, the entrepreneurship thing really was when I was looking at saying, what do I want to do in business? Because, you know, you take an MBA and you look at all these different areas of business. And I realized that I kind of liked all different areas of business. There are certain ones I don't like, such as taxes. But, you know, for, for all <laughs> sense and purposes, I was kind of excited about, you know, saying, hey, maybe I can get into venture capital understand this startup and this innovation cycle because I was really reading a lot of books in say 2012 before I moved to Kansas City in 2013. And lo and behold, I always love to tell this story. I, I Googled, I'm sitting there in Tampa on my final Navy tour, <laughs> Googled Kansas City Venture Capital uh, thinking, okay, my wife and I decided we're going to move there and uh, nothing came up, right? There's just no no venture capital firms I could even want to work for in Kansas City. So I said, all right, well, I have savings. I have a business plan I want to execute. And uh, the rest is history. Moved here instead of 
kind of doing the safe thing and getting a job and in business, I just went all in. I have a lot of lessons to learn from that, probably not the best thing to do looking back, but I did it and that was 2013 on. All right. So let's talk about that a little bit. You said you went to the Kelly School of Business. That's the same school that Mark Cuban went to, right? So that's interesting. So you and, and Mark Cuban are alumni buddies. So you could you could go and uh, do some venture capital fundraising from him, right? <laughs> it's scary, right? Yeah, it's got to be one, one out of a hundred thousand that he probably fingered. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. So you uh, you brought up something interesting. You were in Tampa. You Googled venture capital. Then you came to Kansas City, and you couldn't find anybody to go work for with in venture capital. So you went all in on your startup. Talk to us a little bit about that, and then. Give us a little background on the story of how we met, because I think that's actually one of the more funny stories. When we start running into people we know, we always tell this story. So it's a really funny story how we met. Yeah, that's a great story. So I, um, I'm sitting there and I'm a uh, lieutenant commander in the reserves, and I just transitioned from my active duty to my reserve status, which means that you have to go drill at you know, the Navy Reserve Unit once, uh, once a month. You got to do some annual training. So it's what you always hear about once a month and two weeks a year. So I'm doing that and unbeknownst to me, again, you know, if you're kind of in business and you do the reserve thing, you know, basically the Navy becomes a very small part of your life and whatever your day job is, in my, my case, entrepreneurship becomes a very large part of it. And it's easy to kind of like have these two worlds in different swim lanes, right? So yeah. I'm out there networking. I, uh, one of the challenges I had leaving the military, I talk a lot about this. I came to Kansas City, I knew exactly zero people, right? So I had to not only build a business, I had to also build a business network at the same time. So one of the very first people I met was Justin at a, basically an entrepreneur kind of breakfast club. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I've met some lifelong friends uh, from there. Justin's one of those. And so he and I meet, I I figure out, I kind of introduce myself. Hey, I'm new to Kansas City. I just came from the Navy. He says, hey, I served in the Navy. And that's kind of hard part of his pitch as well. And we just kind of barely chat about it. Oh, okay. I was on this carrier. Oh yeah, I was a pilot and we kind of go our separate ways. And so lo and behold, about, I think it was literally about a one month later, I roll into my, uh, what they call indoctrination, which is, you know, welcome to the Navy Reserves. And uh, one of the instructors was Justin, right? And so I was glad <laughs> these two worlds immediately collided. And, you know, Justin is, is still serving, you know, or was at the time still serving as an enlisted guy. I'm an officer. And there's a weird thing because when in the business world, I'm looking at him like, hey, he's several years advanced to me. All of a sudden we're in uniform. He's like, do I salute this guy? How do I call him by his first name and last name? Yeah, it was funny because when I ran into him, I was like, oh, shoot, should I actually like salute him? And then I, it started coming back to me because I was only out of the Navy for like two years at this time. So it was like, God, I need to call him sir. But this is kind of weird because I was just calling him Glenn like yesterday or it felt like yesterday. And, and so anyway, Everybody who served in the military understands this dynamic of fraternization. And when you go into the reserves, that whole fraternization thing, if you see them on the outside, it's like, God, this is actually really weird because you don't live Navy life every single day. So I thought that was funny. I thought that was a good story to tell. Well, another thing you had mentioned was how you just dived right in. And most of the time when people either serve or they're in corporate America, they kind of hang on to that as their security blanket for you to just transition from being in the Navy, being in the reserves and then diving right into entrepreneurship. That is just very confident of you. What made you just go all in right from the beginning? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Keisha. One of these things that, you know, I, I always counsel people that are getting out now that I've actually been through it. And because it feels very, very weird. You go from a very structured military environment, like, especially in entrepreneurship, it's just like, oh, nobody cares if I'm dead or alive. I'm not late for work. And you know, nobody's, 
you know, calling me looking for muster and all these things you're used to. Right. So one of the things I, I credit myself to, because there's a lot of things I did wrong. One of the things I credit myself to is back in, you know, so I transitioned in 2013 and I decided in 2008, okay, I'm a couple years away from my break point you know, of like, you know, my, my commitment. What do I, what do I really want to do? What's really going to be my plan? So I went off and got a couple degrees and I, you know, kind of talked to my father-in-law who's in business and started to learn and read um, Business Week every single week to understand different industries. I did all these things in the, in the idea of preparing for a plan, right? So whatever I was just, you know, counsel people to say, hey, whatever it is going to be, whether it's military service or 30-year career with a trash company, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you know, these days, you know, retirement is one of these things you either do it and you plan for it or you're going to do something else. Um, so I knew I was going to do something else at the young age of, uh, what was I, 30, 32 when I got out, right? So it wasn't as if I was just going to be like, oh, I retire. I, I couldn't do that anyway. I didn't have a pension. So, you know, that's one of the things I did right was just to say I'm planning. And so I really read a whole stack of books. I On my bookshelf right next to me right now, I have every entrepreneurship book worth of crap that I've ever read. And I got them dog-eared and I break them out, uh, honestly, from time to time. And I was just kind of reading and saying, all right, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, very little business experience, I really need to... Uh, I really need to kind of get educated and have a plan. And that was the, that was the one thing I did right from that perspective. Wow. And, you know, it's really interesting because I went through that same dynamic, you know, getting out and kind of having that feeling of going all in. You hear in the military a lot, especially amongst enlisted, when I'm get out, I'm either going to go get a job or I'm going to go to school. Like that's the thing. And so you got out and did neither because you had already had your schooling and yep. you chose to go 100% all in entrepreneurship. That's a really big deal. And I want to commend you because a lot of times it takes a lot of courage for people in the military to go from the structure. It's a level of structure that is hard to describe. The level of structure that you have in the military to 100% free. It's almost a, too much of a good thing. You know what I mean? Talk to us a little bit about your story of entrepreneurship. Talk to us about your startup, how that went. What, when, what happened, some of the lessons learned. I mean, you have, a, uh, I believe, a pretty cool story, one that's really inspirational, one that's really impactful. No, and I, thanks, and I appreciate that. I think one thing, you know, I'll caveat is I'm actually trying to become more of an open book on the, on the downs of entrepreneurship. Too many people see, oh, I have this guy, you know, he's, he founded some tech startup and they're killing it and he's written up in the press. And you don't read about the other 99 tech startups out there that never get funding that go, you know, go in the drink or small businesses or restaurants or what have you. It's incredibly hard, right? And I think right. it's important to actually hear the difficulty with people that are even thinking about this. So that way they have a better lens of just instead of like, you know, okay, I read this book, should be good. I'm real smart. I've always been told I'm smart. I'm, I work hard. I'm better than people. Like, you know, I had a lot of these things going into it, which is like, oh, I got good degrees from Mark Cuban school and I'm a naval aviator. I've always been told as a naval aviator, and Justin knows this, that like, hey, you guys and gals are like selected to be here. You know, you're incredibly yeah. smart, hard work. They do a good job of doing that in the Air Force and the Navy for the pilots, deals and all that kind of stuff. And it's true, but man, you know, like it's a very structured environment. It's very rinse and repeat in the sense of how you get from here to there to achieve success. In but, business, it's literally, go ahead. No, but I, I want to say this because this is worth mentioning. Think of Top Gun. These naval aviators are the best in the world. I don't care if you're Air Force, Army. I'm saying naval aviators, not just because Glenn is one, but I say this to everyone, are the best in the world. You would, be, you would think the Air Force are, but it's the Navy, truly, are the best aviators in the world. And so when you have that, that when he's saying, you know, we were told, we were selected, it is true. It is incredibly difficult because I talk to officers. It's incredibly difficult 
to one, become a naval aviator, and to two, keep your flight status. So anyway, I just I want to make sure I harp on that a little bit. Go ahead. No, I really appreciate that because again, you know, not only are our veterans in active duty right now or back to duty is like you know less than one percent of society. Now we're looking at something where it's like the entire aircraft carrier is there to do what support the uh, the aviators. Absolutely, I, I appreciate that sentiment because it's it's not something many people understand all the way through. And so I'm coming out of that. I'm coming out of the Navy with that lens, right? And obviously, what that does it feeds some ego. And I think you know when I when I want to start my first company. I kind of had, hey, I know how to write a business plan. I was trained by the best professors. I've read all the books. Like all now I got to do is attack this market that I think is a, is an opportunity. And I got to learn a lot and I, I'm funding it myself. And I got plenty of money in the bank. And the real world comes down hard to say, hey, there's a reason things are done in an industry. If you're trying to disrupt it and you have zero experience, uh, good luck. All right. And so you got to think about, so one of the lessons learned from my first startup, and actually really my second. So let's back up just a second. Uh, my very first startup, because uh, I've been at this game about seven years. 2012, when I was still active duty, it was an education tech. And uh, Justin, you might not remember this startup. No, was, I remember. I remember. Yeah, it's called Graduate And I think we showed some, it was, it was very lean. You know, we did a lot of things right in this thing. We had, we had full-time jobs, right? Number one, uh, me and an Air Force buddy that I met in my business school. So we're both pilots. We're both like, hey, let's attack this thing. But we're both reading books. And we're both like, hey, let's stay lean, not burn a bunch of money and figure out if we can find a customer and figure out if they'll pay us. And all those things came true. And we're using that. This is back in 2012. We are using the magic of Google AdWords to find uh, customers in India. And we randomly, through just kind of happenstance, stumbled into somebody who can make it happen. So if our job was to acquire a customer, and this was in basically uh, MBA services, somebody you know in India wanted to go to a top uh, top tier US MBA. That was our job to find that customer and to convert them using digital marketing. Uh, so it was my first cut of my teeth in digital marketing. The second piece them in the idea that we could get a mentor to get them into US business schools who better find that guy or a gal that was going to be the mentor. So we eventually found the guy and we actually got people to convert on a website. And we actually made, let's say it cost us $500 to get the whole thing going uh, with ad spend and, and you know just putting a website up. We actually, uh, our first customer about us $1,500. So long story short, we said, well, we can't really do this full-time. I didn't want to do it on my own. He didn't want, you know, he couldn't do it while full-time. We couldn't really build a real business out of this. And so I took that sort of, again, back to the ego thing. Again, we're smart. We're reading the right books. We're staying ahead of the curve. We're using new tools and we are making money. Like how I called pure pursuit automotive. And the idea there was as a pilot, I'm also, I love boats. I love planes. I love cars. And so I thought, man, I, you know, I know a lot about cars. And every time I go into the dealership to buy a car, I end up hating the experience. I knew more than the people selling me the car. I'm looking for enthusiast cars. What if I were able to take some of these lessons I'm learning in digital marketing and build a quote dealership of the future that was very specific to auto enthusiasts. And I'd only stock, you know, high-end cars that were very niche uh, I would, you know, be able to sell on the internet. And I, I could, it was a good business model in the sense of how we we're able to, over the years, actually sell a lot of cars across the country. And I learned a heck of a lot about the automotive industry. But the thing that I was very slow to learn was that I was trying to kind of eke it out on one profit center, which was sell mm -hmm. a used car. And I, what I didn't realize in the dirty little secret is uh, if you're going up against incumbents, yes, I was able to win customers away from them. For, and I was, yes, I was able to ship cars. And yes, I was able to sometimes make money. But when you're holding inventory in a rapidly depreciating inventory and you're, and you're advertising on the internet, you're not advertising to normal buyers. You're advertising to people that are willing to fly or ship a car. They basically eke all the profit margin out of the deal. And then mm -hmm. the ability, so a dealer can do that. And so again, I, I consider myself an internet dealer. 
when I'm talking about a franchise dealer that's here in town, you know, so you're like, all right, you know, thoroughbred Ford, they actually have five profit centers, right? They can sell new cars. Uh, they get compensated by the manufacturer. They can sell used cars. They can sell finance contracts. They can sell insurance contracts and they have a service lane, which is kind of their mini factory for profits. So they can actually afford to take a loss on a car, you know, and actually make it up, so to speak, on all these different profit centers. It took me years to kind of realize I was fighting an uphill battle that I was never going to win, I, even if I had capitalization, even which I didn't, right? even if I had a lot of inventory to make it worth my overhead, which I didn't. And then finally, couple A Navy Reserve calls me and deploys me for a year. Uh, that was, you know, obviously something that was basically insurmountable and that business failed uh, and I had to pivot to a tech business. That's a lot to unpack there. And, and I just want to go back to the fact that in your first business, you started lean and you got a paying customer. That's a formula. That's the formula that a lot of people do not get. They think yeah. they have to have a great product and they have to go out and build this great product. And then the market will come to them. You all started lean, got a minimum viable product, went out, seen if you could get a, a customer because you have to have something to show somebody. Okay. So you had to get a minimum viable product and then you went out and got a paying customer. That was business number one. Business number two, you went in and to your credit, you started to me and another one of our friends started like the, the Pinterest before Pinterest. So, you know, but you started what I consider to be like the Carvana before Carvana, you know? Yeah. And we kept it to, to that. To what I did right was I kept it very, very lean. Justin came over to my yeah. original place. It was like a dusty old warehouse. <laughs> I had borrowed a desk. I like had the cheapest laptop ever. And uh, all this, like I said, I, I kept it as lean as possible. I think I invested about $12,000 into building a photo booth. So when you looked at us online, it was completely different you know, as far as fit and finish. We had great videos in a photo booth. We invested a lot into marketing, right? We invested a lot into the sheen of looking like we should be selling fifty dollars to $100,000 cars. But, you know, you go in that warehouse, man, there's rats running around. I mean, like it was, it was pretty nasty. But you know, the funny thing is, and so that's what I thought the mistake was, again, if I'm veiled on the idea of like, I didn't realize because I was so new to business and so new to the industry, I didn't realize, I never really, you know, took a job at a franchise dealership and asked anybody, how does this all work? I thought, hey, I'm going to sell better cars that they don't know about. I'm going to buy them better. I'm going to use technology. I'm going to use marketing. I'm going to keep it lean. But, but the, the problem set that I arrived at in 2015 after doing this for a couple of years was, man, people keep showing up and wanting to buy my cars local. And I, I keep having this rat stomping warehouse, you know, type of thing. And they keep driving away. I'm losing business like crazy. I need to invest in a real retail location, uh, which was partially the problem, right? But the other problem was I was never going to compete with the service lane, the finance contracts, the insurance contracts, the new car. It's just really, really, really hard, right? Like I said, yeah. they, can, they can afford to take a specialty car, sell it for a $3,000 loss and still make money because there's finance contracts, insurance contracts and servicing that car over the life of that customer owning it. Let's say like a barren BMW, right? If I compete, I sell an $80,000 M5, they sell it for $84,000. I make a thousand dollars of profit and move on. They lose $2,000 of profit uh, up front, but on the back end over the years of that person coming back and being loyal to the service lanes, they make thousands of dollars. So anyway, that's, I, I was lean and I did build a retail place because I thought I had to, but that really, you know, looking back, that really only addressed half the problem. You know, it's something that you mentioned, I and mean, that was the marketing piece of it. Even with your first startup, it seems that marketing is something that you have perfected, even though there has been 
the failures through the startups. Talk to us a little bit about the marketing because you said you were getting local and international. You've done that with both of your businesses. Let's hit on that a little bit because that's something that entrepreneurs sometimes hit and miss. Absolutely. You know, I only business comes down to, so if you throw out all the accounting and tax prep and strategy and biz dev and marketing and operation, you know, if you throw all that out and you say, Hey, let business really, you know, everything else is ancillary. If you don't have a product and you can't market it and then you can't sell it, that's the holy triangle. There's only three components, right? If you, so a lot of times in the tech world, you can market and sell by promoting and you're building your product, right? Sometimes in the biotech world, which I'm in right now, you have a fully developed product and then you suck at marketing and you think you're great at sales, but your sales team suffers because you're not marketing, right? So if you kind of zoom in on the marketing part of the triangle, that is the way that you're going to get, I always say, if you have a cure for cancer sitting in your basement, right? If you can't market and sell that, it will just sit in your basement. Nothing sells itself, right? Nothing markets itself. So it's a secret weapon. One of the, one of the places that I was very fortunate to go, my very first business conference, and this is just crazy. I was like, all right, I'm in Kansas City. I need to like get on this conference circuit I've heard about. So I'm starting to research automotive conferences. I'm like, I got to learn. And one of the very first ones, I somehow stumbled into this like ultra elite gathering of automotive marketers on Google's campus. And uh, I was like, man, like go to Silicon Valley, learn from Google directly. And I was like, okay. So I thought it was kind of normal. So I like, you know, book a flight, go out there. I'm like sitting around in like these titans of the automotive industry. They're like, oh, I represent, you know, the auto nation. I'm one of their marketers. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is crazy. How did I find myself? And they're like, look at me like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I just got out of the Navy. I'm like thinking about doing internet dealership. And they're all like, how in the hell did you even get here? Like we're <laughs> learning from Google directly on like the trends. And, you know, by the way, automotive is Google's number two customer in any vertical, right? So they invest tons and tons of money and research and all sorts of stuff to YouTube and AdWords. So I'm learning this stuff in 2012 that I could really deploy marketing wise in 2013. And then it dawned on me, if you go back to product marketing and sales, the product that, you know, auto dealers sell is truly a commodity, right? I can, even in a niche, I can get a red Ferrari 50 times over. It's a commodity, right? If I, as long as as the dealer markets nationally, then they have to be able to sell nationally as well. So I had cracked the code on marketing and sales. Again, back to my model, the product, the product was a commodity and uh, my competition could afford to lose money on that where I couldn't. But yeah, marketing has been, I now have, what, seven years of digital marketing experience. I don't claim to be an expert, but I claim to have learned a hell of a lot. I'm still applying that in my current businesses. That's awesome. That's a, a tribute to everything that we learned in personal development. You were able to break it down to just three variables in business. And it's it's the same thing that I found. We've talked about it probably because we've talked about it, but uh, your product, your marketing, your sales. By the way, if you have not subscribed to our newsletter, do that now. Go to realliferalequity.com forward slash newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter now. We're talking about the realities behind entrepreneurship, right? And Glenn just brought that up. Everybody talks about the glory and the glitz and the glam. I think you had mentioned it before in a private conversation. You sat down with Grant Cardone and all these people. You know, Grant Cardone used to be in auto industry, right? Yep, he sure did. I actually, you know, happenstance alone, I, I happen to be able to network very well in a new industries. And I networked to a guy who kind of befriended me. He was like best friends of Grant Cardone. We all sat down and played blackjack in Vegas. I didn't, I knew he was a big deal at the time. Again, back, this was back in 2014. This was before he kind of quote blew up. Wow, what a phenomenal interview. It was it was that was awesome, man. Wow. Very informational from the entrepreneur perspective. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just it was full of real life 
insights, you know, and that's what we're about. So uh, tune in next week to the show. We got more for you. Glenn's coming up with part two of uh, this episode. Uh, We look forward to seeing you again next week. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.